This is Doing Virtue. Catholic Podcast. Virtue is what we do. Cheers. All right. Tonight, we have an uh, awesome guest, Alex Bragwell. Um, I've never met him in person, but we've messaged on Instagram a few times, and um, we bonded, I think, first over Rascal Flats, um, and he posted something about Rascal Flats, and I was like, I, I just happened to see you because we follow some of the same people and I commented. And then ever since I've been watching you and you um, you're uh, obviously an actor and involved in film and very passionate about film. And um, you've been pretty outspoken about sound of freedom and the shift and some of these other great movies that have come out. And I actually, <laughs> I see a sound of freedom poster behind you. So um, yeah. Uh, yeah, nice. Uh, so anyway, uh, without further ado, Alex, welcome to the doing virtue podcast. I'm glad to be on, on here, man. Yeah. Um, you meant, you mentioning about Rascal Flats. I'm glad I have somebody to talk to because even my closest friends are like, they're not fans, but I'm a big fan of them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They're, no, they're an awesome band. That's still recording. Can't see the light. Um, I don't know. Keep talking. Okay. Um, so, Alex, for anyone who doesn't know you, um, could you just give us maybe like a five minute, maybe that's honestly too long, just a quick summary of like who you are, where you're from, um, how you got involved in acting. Um, what led you to be passionate about film? Just like kind of a quick recap on who you are. All right. Well, um, my name is Alex. Uh, I'm currently based in Alabama. Uh, I'm wanting to move around sooner or later, but I really started my love for film when I was like younger. What I do remember is my first films I ever watched. Well, what introduced me to film was the Indiana Jones movie. And so that's what really kickstarted my drive into loving movies, starting out as an actor, because I didn't know anything about behind the scenes stuff when I was younger. I feel like most kids don't really yet. Um, after that, I started my love for acting. So I did a lot of community theater and just all my own personal projects. Uh, now I'm in college and I do theater there while also doing more studies for cinematic arts. Awesome. Uh, what what college are you at right now? I uh, currently go to Wallace State Community College. Okay, awesome. And are you majoring in film or acting or anything like that? Or is that just one of the things that you're pursuing there? Uh, currently, I'm just doing theater there because they sadly don't have a film program. But I am graduating actually this May and transferring over to a different college to actually get a degree into cinematic arts. Okay, awesome. Congratulations on your upcoming graduation. Uh, what school are you going to be attending afterwards? My current top choice right now would be the University of North Alabama, or UNA for short. I've been there a few times looking at their campus, and I've I've always thought they were a great school. They recently added their cinematic arts program. They didn't used to have it. Now they finally have one, and so that's just a, a good check mark on my list. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the reasons that I think I started following you online is um, because we follow a bunch of the same people like Bonfire Legends, Daily Wire, a bunch of the Daily Wire hosts. Um, yeah. So I don't know if the algorithms popped you up or maybe I think maybe I saw you reposted in something that like Bonfire Legends posted. Um, when did you start following the Daily Wire? Um, and do you have any future um, aspirations for either working for them or at least just kind of staying connected with Bonfire Legends? I really started to get to know the Daily Wire through 2021. Uh, 
that's when I was just exploring around streaming and all that, uh, finding new services. And so that's when they made, that's when they released their first film, Run, Hide, Fight, which I have a poster in front of me, which y'all mm-hmm. guys sadly can't see of it. Um, I watched that and I thought it's one of the best films I have ever seen. Like it was amazing to the point that I need to find out who made this movie. Mm. So found out who they all were like bonfire legend with Dallas. Uh, I followed him and luckily he followed me back at that point. Cause he saw my love for the movie. He, he was very passionate about saying thank you for the support I was giving. And that's when I started to like more, get in depth with the daily wire because uh, i didn't full honesty i didn't know the company existed at first daily wire because i'm not i want to say that i'm that enthralled into the news um so it was a good find for them because it's like oh wow i really like their content and what they post through their news or through their say their mm-hmm. production so i started with that and basically after run high fight and through their next movies i basically just started a connection with them i'm not i don't really have a like personal connection with them but they're they seem like really nice people from when i've met them before and i have one script that i've been working on for the past two years now with a bunch of other scripts that i've been currently working on uh that i want to send to dallas and hopefully maybe that could be a project we could work on together yeah that'd be awesome um i saw that you um you attended the premiere i think of terror on the prairie uh, in Nashville, how did, how did you swing that? Like, did you just reach out to them? Did you buy a ticket? Like what, what went into that? It was more of just a personal invite. Uh, I was messaging, uh, Dallas for a bit, just being like, like not being a constant messenger of like bothering him at every moment, but just asking him questions about filmmaking. Cause he's a very, he's a talkative guy. He's like, he's a very kind guy too. If you ask him a question, he will give you an answer. Um, yeah, I was just having conversations with him about filmmaking and I told him I was a big fan of the movies they were making and that hopefully I'd love to meet them one day and maybe even work with them. And after I sent that message of hoping to meet them one day, he sent me a thing saying, well, how would you like to come to the premiere for Terror on the Prairie? Wow. And I said, I, 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 I texted back in like a millisecond, like absolutely. (laughs) That's totally cool. And, and did you, were you following the production of that movie or were you just like Daily Wire's making a movie I'm in, like without really knowing much about it? I knew bits because they were really kind of keeping the movie secret through production. Like, like there was that little era of them like keeping it secret where like Gina Carano is making a new movie. They're filming it in Montana. Then after that, they started releasing, you know, like posters and trailers. So at that time when he invited me, I didn't think there was a poster or even a trailer yet, but I did know the movie existed, but I didn't know what it was about. I just knew a title. Okay. Yeah. It does. It, it With that, I think specifically with the politics that were surrounding Gina Carano at the time, they were trying to flex that they had her in a movie, but they weren't trying yeah. to like reveal what it was too quickly. Um, but yeah, um, I actually haven't seen uh, run. Uh, what, what's the first one shut in or, Run, hide, fight. Run, hide, fight. Yes. I I haven't seen that one. Um, But the, the, is it the third one? I'm trying to remember the order because I remember, um, I I think that Run, hide, fight was the first one that they did, right? And then Terror on the Prairie. And then there's the, I forget what the title is, but there's the one where the woman's locked in the pantry. 
that's a that that's shut in yeah that's shut in okay was that the third one or was that Uh, earlier uh run-eyed fight was the first movie uh that movie was already made before they bought it like that's when dallas bought them or started to work with them uh then they made shut in which was their first like original production and then they finally then their third was terror that's when like their their biggest what they had since they had gina okay how would you rank the three in in your personal opinion that's a tough question my dude uh well with the three i would probably put round high fight still as first because i have just never seen a film like that like i got i've messaged the director and writer of that movie too kyle rankin he's a very kind dude he's made a new movie that's coming out there's nothing out about it yet kept it secret but i'll be excited when that comes out Mm. uh second place would probably be terror i love the uniqueness of it i've messaged i've talked to the director of that michael polish as well and he was kind uh have you seen terror yet yeah yes i have um we watched it i i think overall it was pretty decent and i think especially because it was a very original film i did like it there were definitely parts where I thought there was like maybe slight plot holes or things where it's like, realistically, the character's not going to do this or whatever. But I did like how, um, how rural it was. It felt very raw. Um, And it also was awesome that like they had Gina Carano, like just being able to honestly just land her as an actress, even if, even if you thought the movie was terrible, the fact that they were able to steal her from Disney and put her in a big film is a a pretty cool feat anyway. So yeah. like of of course it, it is like what they got there was like a gem that they had she was i got to meet her at the premiere and she was extremely kind she was one of the most loving people i've ever met mm. i got a photo with her as well but um yeah i just really liked terror because like noticing like there was no score to the movie like it was felt mm. si- every some scenes were so silent but some scenes were just so loud thanks to the gunshots so I really like that. So in third place would be shut in and putting it in third place doesn't make it bad, but it's amazing. It's, I consider it like, I love tight thrillers, uh, Mm. movies that are like, I guess stuck in one place really. And they got to try to move around that one location. Sure. Yeah. I I actually, I I don't think I've seen that all the way through. I've seen the, I think I started it and I didn't finish it because my subscription ended. And then I was like, Oh, I can't renew until next month or something. So I didn't finish it, but I have seen, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but they had, they locked a bunch of the daily wire hosts in that, like in that room, or at least a, a, a recreation of that room. So they like paired them off. And so they're all going through. So as I was, wa- I think it's like an hour, 45 minutes or something. As I was watching that, I was like, Oh, this thing is important in the movie, even though I haven't seen it. <laughs> like they kept, you know, putting clues in like a book and money and, you know, just different things they were scattering around. So, um, I like that they did that. That's pretty funny. Um, yeah, I love that little content they do for all their upcoming projects. Like, well, they're like with that one, they did a lot of publicity because you know that was their first original production, which was cool for them to do. Like, when anytime they released a movie, they did those little featurettes of like behind the scenes or interviews. Like you can find on their website or you can find on YouTube. But their newest film, as you know, Lady Ballers, didn't get a lot of promotion. Mm. because you know trying to keep it secret through filming right what were your thoughts on now i know earlier you mentioned that you're not super into politics or at least you weren't originally um but it seems that like wokeness has really gotten into a lot of new films 
And so it's refreshing when you have films like Top Gun Maverick or you have uh, just films that are entertaining. Um, uh, and that doesn't mean that films can't teach a moral lesson or can't extend into political realms. But it seems to me that if you're not going to push a political message right in someone's face, it really should just be entertaining. And unfortunately, a lot of films now just seem to be preach like they're, they're just preaching something and depending on where you fall in the political spectrum maybe you enjoy it but i think for a lot of more conservative minded people that is really frustrating because you'll have a movie that overall is pretty decent and then there's uh and then there's some immorality in there or or it's just pushing agendas that you you just don't want to think about like you're just there to see the movie so what are your thoughts on um i guess number one having woke ideology or wokeness in movies and then number two um, like what's, what's the path forward? Like, is it, is it get on board with the daily wire or companies like that, that are trying to just promote solid entertainment, or is it just kind of like the luck of the draw where we just have to, it's like, what, whatever comes out, we just, we're going to watch, you know? Well, after finding the daily wire, that is when I became more politically opinionated, like before, like I said, when I was through high school and all of that, I didn't really keep up with it because I was just focusing on my own, like, just high school and all that. Um, so after I found the Daily Wire and started watching hosts like Shapiro or Knowles or Walsh, like I got to meet them at the premiere too. Knowles would probably be my favorite host and he was the one I had the longest conversation with and he was one of the best dudes out there. Um, so after I found DW, that's when I became more opinionated with what I believe is right and wrong. Uh, for me, I would far I would fall a bit more to the right, in my opinion. So with wokeness, I agree, yes. We don't need to have it in movies. Like there's a certain it's a thin line that you gotta have between filmmaking and that kind of preaching. Cause me as a filmmaker, I just see it as more of bringing entertainment to all audiences. Like I have my political opinions, yes. But for me, even if I'm like far right or just right, whatever political opinion you are, I believe you should people should keep that to to their own personal opinions and keep it out of the writing specter. Mm. Um, for me, when I write my scripts, I never really express my political opinions in my scripts because I believe in just entertaining the audience, giving them a thrilling fun story even or maybe it's not even a fun story maybe a sad story depending on you know the genre but um through that that's what i believe in is mm -hmm. enter at pure entertainment because recently earlier today i was watching uh the new mission impossible dead reckoning and i saw that back in theaters when it came out but i just, just got the physical of it which i believe physical media matters more than streaming hmm. uh that's that's the kind of movies I like because Christopher McQuarrie is one of the best writers out there, and he, I can kind of guess what his political opinions are, but from watching Mission Impossible, I I don't see it at all. Right. I just see him yeah. telling a story about Ethan Hunt and this new villain and all these other action packed sequences, and yeah, those are the sure. kind of movies I love. I be, I do believe we got to have less of woken movies. Now, I do believe in having people – people can be whoever they want in movies. That's the joy of it. And I'll work with anybody on my things. It's like 
if you respect my opinion on what I'm making, you can work with me because I believe in I believe in the kindness of the world. But there are some people that don't, and like how they did with Gina, or maybe other people, it's unfair to have one side be with it and the other not. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's unfortunate that nowadays you're you're persecuted for not just believing like some maybe far right or you know overly like in some in some people's mind overly christian beliefs it's like you you'd be persecuted for for much less you know if you're not completely on board with the transgender ideology if you're not completely on board with all of this you know all of the political things that are being pushed especially on kids and things like that um if you're not on board with that you're out um, so I'm, I'm really excited that the daily wire has started doing stuff on their own because I think originally their plan was to take over Hollywood in Hollywood and try to make better movies in Hollywood. And then they just realized that like, no, there's, there's no one that we can talk to. Like no one will even hear us out because we're going to say, Hey, we want to make a movie about making fun of, you know, men on women's sports teams or something. And that would never fly, you know? So, um, yeah, and I think there's there's definitely some fair criticism of Lady Ballers in in some of the ways that it was, and uh, some of the ways that it was done. But I am glad that they decided we want to make a movie about this, and we don't really care that it's edgy, and we don't really care that it's uncomfortable. And then part of the reason why it's successful is because it's uncomfortable, right? Because it's showing you how ridiculous that whole ideology is, um, and it's kind of genius because they're showing that it's ridiculous without saying it because the entire movie they're saying, uh, no, no, like we're on board with this. Like they're, they're obviously it's satirical, but they're, they're kind of trying to preach to the, to the choir and say, Oh no, really? Like we're on board with this. But obviously you see as the movie unfolds that clearly it doesn't work and they're, they're making fun of it, not supporting it. So, um, yeah, I think more content like that is, is good. And I think as time goes on, they'll get better about honing in, what's going to, what their, what their base wants and also what messages they need to push in order to stay different from the left. So, um, like through all of that, I'm loving what they're doing. Like every film they made, including lady ballers, I, it was funny. And I, I found it unique in that kind of era. Like it was Jeremy Boring's like first directorial thing. I saw that when I was like, Oh, he directed it. And so I thought he did good with that. So, it's good to have movies like that of mm. not being scared of what comedy is. For me, I'm not much of a comedy writer. If I try to write comedy, I think it kind of falls flat because <laughs> I'm not I'm not a comedian. So I write more thriller stuff. I write more action stuff. So I kind of keep in my own zone of what I know I can write. So seeing a film like that, I found it genuinely funny. It reminded me of like in a good way it reminded me of like early 2000s comedies that mm. always yeah, yeah. make me laugh so it felt like a breath of fresh air of what we needed and like that specter because comedy has become a era of just not I'm trying to think of the words here uh it's become very sensitive yeah it's it's a it's what you can make a joke about what you cannot make a joke about mm -hmm. it really well that's I the big the days of yeah that's the that i mean that's kind of, of the the big argument with um like shows like the office where it has a huge fan base now but if uh any network tried to put out that show with some of the comments and some of the jokes that they make in that show 
it wouldn't it wouldn't go today and the only reason that it's still available i think and it hasn't been like taken off all these platforms is because it's so successful that they're like well we're gonna lose so much money so we're, well, i guess we'll keep it you know and, and at the end of the day really it comes down to money so so they are going to keep it but if you tried to release the office today that would not fly like no one could do it, you know, but, but it does show that's like, well, comedy is supposed to be making fun of reality. And sometimes reality is ridiculous. And if you start, if you start banning that and saying, no, no, you can't fit, you can't make fun of that reality, because that could hurt someone. It's like, well, but where else are you going to do it? If you're not going to do it in comedy, like, when once comedy dies, then, then reality is, is only what whoever's in charge says that it is, you know, I think we all, we all also starting to see sort of um, comedians, like really popular comedians are popular because they're not afraid of um, making fun of both sides. And it's like making fun of the reality. Um, Shane Gillis, who's I'm sure is a leftist or, or Joe Rogan, I'm sure is a leftist. They're very like clear that they can make fun of both sides and they're really popular for it. <laughs> yeah. Like even on the right too, like they've become like Joe Rogan has become almost, almost like right-leaning in many ways because he'll say, well, wait a second. Like I'm pro these leftist views, but also I think that you should be able to make fun of this. And everyone on the left is like, no, 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 you can't make fun of that. And he still wants to, and he has a big enough podcast where it's like, who's going to stop me. And, and then all of a sudden he's in the right category by default, which is, which is kind of amusing in itself, you know, that he's become, become trusted news, you know, like, yeah, it's wild. It really is. I remember when Spotify tried to like kick him off there for a bit, but that obviously did not work. Yeah. Yeah, try try kicking off someone who gets like what is it like eleven million downloads every day or something. Um, I want to circle back quickly to uh, so you said you went to the to the premiere. Um, what was that experience like? Uh, you, you, was there like a a cocktail hour beforehand where you get to meet the hosts, or was there like afterwards? There's a line that forms and you meet them. What like what what did that look like? So it was actually a pretty small premiere, like not. I wouldn't say like kind of like people wise because there was a lot of people, but location wise, uh, it was the first time I ever had to wear like a full on suit to the thing because <laughs> they said there was like dress codes to the thing. I mean, I've worn like formal clothes before, but this I was like, oh, I had to get like a full suit and tie and put things on my arms or whatever. <laughs> so when I went there, they were they had it at a AMC theater, which I was not. I was not expecting until I saw it in the email that I was that I received. So I arrived there and I've been to a bunch of AMC theaters because I like traveling around and seeing different types of ways to watch movies. Um, I went there and they had a bar in the theater, which I knew AMC had a bar, the MacGuffin's bar, but the one I go to doesn't. Uh, this was a pretty big AMC theater. And when I got there, they had like a, a, a table with these four people sitting, uh, asking your name and when you said their name they look it up in a book and they give you your ticket and that's basically what i got i got a ticket to see the movie and it gave me a, another piece of paper or more of a ticket wise saying uh, after party at this hotel and so that's what basically happened with that while we were waiting on the uh, whole interview phase to go through like they had the red carpet there with the sign on the back they had the name of the movie, the production companies and their logos, the photographers taking photos. I, that's where I got to talk with Michael for a bit. Uh, he was waiting in line and I saw him and I thought I'd give it a shot. I was like, mm -hmm. 
I was just walking around in there, and I look in the crowd, I was like, that's Michael Knowles. <laughs> so, what was that like talking to him? Was it pretty surreal? It was very surreal. I was like, he still is my favorite podcaster to listen to. So, meeting him was very, very like heartwarming. Cause, like, you know, that feeling of like you see somebody you're a fan of and you kind of have to have that, your heart skips a beat. <laughs> like, it's like you don't believe it's real. But it's like, I'm in the same room as this person. Yeah. Right. So going in there, it was very nice. I just went, I just went up to him, like, I said, hi. <laughs> and we just had a full, a full conversation about movies and what he likes and what's it like working at DW and all that. So he was a very chill dude. He didn't seem like when I was talking to him, he didn't seem like he wanted to walk away from me or he didn't find me annoying or anything. He was talking to me like I was one of his best friends. He mm-hmm. he genuinely is a good dude, and he he's a very he'll talk to anybody if you talk to him. Yeah, I actually, I have a follow up question. I am curious of, about your interactions with the other hosts, but I have a follow up question to that. Um, I don't know what faith you are. Like I I don't know. I'm assuming you're a Christian of some kind, uh, just based on your am, mo- yeah. what 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 are you? If you don't mind me asking. Just to put you in, a, uh, I'm not, I, just not to put you in a religious box. I'm just mm-hmm. curious. <laughs> no, you're all right. Uh, I would classify myself as a Methodist. Okay, so what you said that that Michael Knowles is one of your favorite hosts, but he does talk about, like, obviously we're Catholic. He talks about Catholicism a lot. Um, is that something that you enjoy because he talks about it in a way that's not pushy, or do you find that like, oh, I wish he wouldn't talk about that. I wish he would just stick to politics. Like, what are your what are your thoughts on that as a as a Methodist? No, I I love hearing his opinion on it because there are so many versions, you know, of Christianity, and I find it unique listening about all the different types. I was like, wow, there's so many of them. And so hearing his beliefs on it and also your beliefs from y'all being the same, I don't have a problem with it because I honestly really do love listening to when he talks about it, like bringing in Mm. the religious talk versus his political talk. That's why I like his – podcast the most is because it feels like he's talking about what he likes what he loves Mm. and so that's what i enjoyed the most it doesn't feel like it's bearing to listen to yeah it feels like listening to the podcast it feels like i'm having a conversation with him like i'm sitting across the table with him right as he's talking to me not to say that the other dw hosts don't have like they have a problem with listeners they don't Like, I love listening to Walsh. I love listening to Shapiro. But with Michael, I see it as I'm talking to a friend. Mm -hmm. And so hearing him talk about that, I find it very much enjoyable. So I don't see a problem with it at all. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. I've I've talked to a few other people that have either either had interactions with him or know people that know him. And they all kind of say the same thing, that he's like, he's just a really genuine guy. And I honestly think, uh, regardless of if you're Catholic or just some denomination of Christian, I think it's really good to have someone who's in the political space, who's saying the things that need to be said, is unapologetically Catholic and Christian, but is not like on a bad list. It's not like, oh my gosh, every time he starts talking, it's just this argument. He's just like, this is what Catholics believe. This is the reason behind it. And if you're curious, look up this book and then onto a political thing. And it's not, and it's something where it's like, okay, yeah, that was like, that answered my question or it, it made me curious about more, but it didn't take away from, you know, it didn't make me want to turn off the podcast. And it's the same thing with, 
I think he may do it a little bit better. Um, but Ben Shapiro does that a lot where he'll talk about his Jewish faith and the things that he, you know, the way that he celebrates or what, what this translation means or whatever. And then he'll get it right into politics and I don't see a problem with it. And you're like, Oh, that's awesome. I learned, I learned something about what he personally believes and also what Orthodox Jews believe, but it didn't seem like an hour and a half podcast about Judaism. Cause that's, that's not why I yeah. tuned in, you know? So that's good to hear. Um, yeah, he's he's really cool. I, I'm also excited that he uh, he launched his cigar brand. It's just such a Michael Knowles thing to do, you know, like his, of course. his Mayflower cigars. I just thought that was hilarious. Um, Out of all the people to do it there, of course, it'd be him. Yeah, yeah, for right. sure. Um, what was it like meeting uh, the one and only uh, Ben Shapiro? What what? How did that go down? Okay, now sadly, I did not get to meet him at the premiere. Oh, you didn't? Okay, okay. He was currently out of the country filming some other thing of his. I forgot which one it was, but it was oh. one of the events he, he did. Okay, yeah. I, was Do you know if that was the same time when he was doing the stuff with Jordan Peterson when they were... I feel like he was gone for a while with, with Jordan Peterson in, like, Jerusalem or something. I don't know if that was the same time. I think that was it, because I, okay. I remember him being in those areas with, like, with all the religious architecture and all that. Yeah. I forgot which country it was in, but... I think that was when it was happening. It's, I wanted to meet him, but I didn't get the chance. But again, ho hopefully one day I do get. To yeah, yeah, the next premiere, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so what about I, the other? I can, I can dream. <laughs> <laughs> exactly as as can we. Um, what about the other the other hosts? It sounds like you talked for Michael. Or you talked to Michael for a bit longer, um, or maybe it was a bit more casual. Did the other hosts feel like you were kind of bombarding them a little bit more, or? Um... Not really. They were just on their own little like thing through the premiere um i didn't see andrew clavin i i'm pretty sure he didn't go uh okay or i might be mistaken again i might have forgotten but i didn't see him there but again he might have been there they're uh, in disguise or something <laughs> yes he had a wig on <laughs> <laughs> just a toupee but, um, <laughs> exactly wig on no glasses he was <laughs> unrecognizable um totally so uh i saw brett cooper there uh sh she was she was cool. Uh, I didn't talk to Walsh a lot because he was. I don't mean this in like a bad way to him, but <laughs> I think he's kind of intimidating. <laughs> oh, I mean, he's a tall, bearded dude. I mean, just I actually I didn't meet him, but he came. Uh, that whole I don't know if you again. You said you weren't really uh, caught up on politics a whole lot, so maybe you don't remember. But there was this big thing that happened in Loudoun County with a uh, transgender bathroom thing. Um, and it was this whole deal here in Virginia. And uh, he came to Virginia. Uh, his family's from Virginia, but he found friends here. Um, he came here and then they, he was going to speak uh, in front of the school uh, opposing the transgender bathroom policy just to make a point. And then they told him a couple days before that he couldn't because he wasn't a resident of Virginia. So he signed a lease with some friends that he had out here, like a temporary lease so that he was technically, you know, a Virginia resident. So me and a couple of friends, we went and we didn't really get to talk to him, but we saw him walk by and I was like, wow, he's really tall. I didn't recognize. So when the documentary, um, what is a woman came out, I think there's, there's a, there's a part of it where he's giving that speech. Um, and I remember watching it and I was like, I'm almost in that shot. Like I remember <laughs> this guy standing next to me and then the camera guy told me to move and then I wasn't in it, <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting how tall he was because my height currently is six uh, three. So I, when I walk up to him, I was like, 
another head shorter than him. <laughs> yeah, my gosh. So I was yeah. like, uh, I was like, hi, thank you. Yeah. Well, and you also can't tell because on all the streams, like they all look the same height, right? Like I know Ben Shapiro is short, but like you don't really see it because they're all sitting right in the middle of the camera. But if they all stood up, you'd be like, oh, wow, he's way taller. Um, so I, I didn't mean, talk to him a lot because, like I said, um, I felt kind of intimidated, but yeah. I knew. I knew he wasn't going to be rude or anything that I knew of. So I talked to him for a bit and just got a photo with him. And so that was cool, but I let him go on. But I, the reason I talked to Michael the most was that he, he came in onto a conversation and just joined in. Mm. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I I wish more people in politics were, were like that, you know, that, that not only just going to a conference and speaking to a bunch of people, but then afterwards, just like, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of hang out with whoever's here. Like, you bought tickets. I'm here. Let's hang out. Like, I think that's a, that's a really a good way to, to get the dialogue open, especially after maybe a rousing speech, you know? Now I do remember one funny thing. Uh, I can't remember their first names, but it was the three hosts of Crane and Co. They were all there and they were just running around the building <laughs> because they were, they were currently watching some uh, sports game. I, I can't remember if it was football or basketball nice. But it was one of them. they were just running around, and one of them just comes up to me, and, and said, and just tells me to score. I was, I was like, really? Because I was like, I didn't know what they were talking about. I was like, really? <laughs> they they looked excited. I don't know what game they were looking at, but I went with it, and it said that's cool. Sounds like a bunch of kids. That's yeah, awesome. I haven't watched a whole lot of their show, but the parts that I have watched, it's like, I thought Dude Perfect was was kind of crazy for all the stuff that they do. But they at least like they have like some organization and they've got like different videos and different challenges. And for them, they're just like shooting a podcast in a room that has like a putting green and a hoop. And they're just like, quick time out for a free throw contest. I'm like, what? How how is this content? But like, but they're doing really well. So so good good on them. Um I have seen a few bits and pieces of Crane and Co., but me, I don't really consider myself that much of a sports fan. I do my family would be considered fans of Alabama through football because even me not watching sports, that's technically what I'm in because of my family. But um, it's some of their content is really fun to watch, even if I don't really keep up with the sports aspect of life. I just think they're just really fun to listen to. But like I said, I'm not an avid viewer. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just seem really wholesome and they're all, it's also nice because they're, I think they're the only show where there's more than one host. And so it's nice to have three of them because it's not just a, you know, a podcast almost monologue. It's just the three of them are just kind of hanging out. So it's a little bit less formal, which if you want the formal news is a bad thing, but if you just want like some entertainment, they, they seem to be pretty entertaining. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. So, um, so you went to that premiere and then was that the first time that you met, um, Dallas, is it Sonia or I've seen it I spelled, I've never, it... sorry, what I was just going to say, I've seen it spelled, but I've never heard it pronounced from what I've heard. And from what, from what I know, I think it is Sonia. Sonia. Okay. Like, so if, if I am somehow wrong too, I'd love to be corrected, but that's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Tell him to call uh, me directly. And I'd love that. No, <laughs> um, it was that the first time you met him in person then? Yes, it was. Uh, like I said, we messaged for a good bit. Just me telling him how much of a fan I am and telling him like what my ideas of what if me as a filmmaker, what I believe in and what I want to make is how like he made Run, Hide, Fight and all of his other movies before he worked with Daily Wire, like Bone Tomahawk or The Standoff at Sparrow Creek. I loved those movies and how tight-knit they were. 
I mean, Bone Tomahawk did more traveling, but it still felt tight due to the characters, and that's why I loved it. So I loved his idea of filmmaking, and watching Run I-5, I was like, this guy has the same idea of filmmaking that I do. So talking to him about that was great, and meeting him in person was even better because he was like Michael. He was a mm. he's a chatterbox of a dude. <laughs> he loves talking about movies as well. Because from what I remember, I said I think he said his favorite movie ever is Top Gun, which is valid. <laughs> uh, and I was talking about Top Gun Maverick because I saw that movie multiple times in theaters that summer. So getting to talk to him about that and me talking like, man, I there's one idea I'm working on. And I'd love to show it to you one day when I finish it. And he told me, like, whenever you do, send it my way. It's like, awesome. Oh, that's really awesome. And he's, um, I don't think, he he's in charge of the new, uh, the Pendragon cycle, right? He's Is he the main director for that, too? He is one, he is the main producer, yes. Uh, like, him in charge of it. I know there are other producers involved, like uh, Travis Mills. I saw him at the premiere, which I, I didn't get to talk to him. Because, uh, I, like I said, I didn't see him, but I found out he was at the premiere. But I've messaged him online before, and he's cool from what I know. I know Travis is a producer on it, but I think Dallas is still, like, the main overhead of everything. Okay. While Jeremy is more of the creator, developer of the show, and also directing a few episodes himself. Yeah. I think what I Which was... I am very excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> From what I've seen, um, the the quality of the, like, the cinematography seems really awesome um i like how they have such a big cast because if they had just a small cast and it's like you know some random extras that don't really play a role it'd just be like eh, okay it seems kind of low budget but it seems like they're really like they're traveling around like they're all of the different like little behind the scenes clips that they're posting on youtube or on instagram it's like this seems legit even just in like the bits and pieces so uh i'm looking forward to that and i think when we were messaging you told me that you auditioned for it or reached out about auditioning for it is that right Yes, I I was told by Dallas. Well, also their their casting director David Galilamo was there, and so I talked to him about it, and I said, "How do I audition for stuff?" Because I was wanting to learn more, and so he he's one of the few casting directors I know that'll watch all the auditions because there are some where you have to have an agent versus mm. some where you don't have to. But David does both. He he looks at actor auditions with and without agents, kind of like how Dallas does with uh, scripts. Uh, he will listen to scripts that don't have a copyright yet versus do with an agent. So, which I don't have an agent myself yet, but one day I, mm-hmm. I, I will if when if I find one near me. Yeah, yeah. But um, whenever I do find the right one, uh, I'm currently non-union without having an agent. So, have he told he told me to send in my headshot and just do that and so dallas posted on his instagram about auditions for pendragon and so i took the chance i contacted david and he sent me a bunch of a list of characters and i read which ones matched my description the most or almost did and so i auditioned for those he sent me bits and pieces of the scripts of what characters i needed to read and sent it in now obviously since the show was filmed i didn't get the part but I find it very gracious that I just had the chance to do it. Yeah. Did you get an official like, thanks, but no thanks email? Or is it just like, we'll call you if you're in it. Otherwise, you know, next time kind of thing. I didn't get anything because that's, that's usually how some auditions go is you don't, 
they don't send you an email saying you didn't get the part because who knows how many people audition for that same role. So you really just find out whenever it gets announced, say through a news outlet or when they make videos of the production. Okay. So if you had gotten a role or in the future in like the next six months or something like that, if you land a major role like that, would you, would you not go to further uh, schooling or would you just postpone that or try to do both? Like what would your plan be if that, if that, a big opportunity like that popped up? I was, I was preparing if I did get a role in Pendragon. So um, with me being in school, if I did get the role and on the email, they said before you audition, you had to be free from a multiple period of months. Right. So you had to be dedicated to it. And so if I did get the role, I was just going to postpone my schooling like until I got back. And then if nothing else happens, I'd continue my schooling if I could. So. Okay. And what was the, I know I Googled it and I, but I forgot to write it down. What was the, the, um, the other upcoming show that's going to be put out after the, the Pendragon cycle that they bought the rights for? I think you said that you're, you're hoping to, to be on board with that project if possible. Now I really am excited for that project because there have been other adaptations of it. It's Anne Rand. Is that her name? Uh, it might be. I, I can't remember well, the author. It's her book, Atlas Shrugged. It's a little bit of a sci-fi thriller. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. And did they tell you about that or is that something that was announced? Because I, I haven't heard the Daily Wire like officially announce that unless I missed it. So is that just something that's like, for anyone involved in the film world, this is kind of upcoming, we're doing auditions, hush-hush kind of thing? Um, I haven't got anything that I know of. I just know they have the rights back when they did their little town hall things with Jeremy. Okay. Like he announced he ha they got the rights to Pendragon and they got the rights to Atlas Shrugged. So I think Atlas Shrugged might be their next thing. But again, I don't have a pure confirmation on it. That's just what I remember them uh, being announced through like Deadline or The Hollywood Reporter. Okay, nice. Yeah, that would be cool to, to be involved in if possible. If you can if you can audition and get land a role in that, that would be pretty huge. Because I've been... I've been listening to the audiobook of the first book because that's one of my problems with books. I can't hold a book. I have to <laughs> listen to books. Uh, but um, I've been listening to it and I'm enjoying it. But I also found there was three movies made already of Atlas Shrugged. Mm. So I've been meaning to get around to watching those. And then the third movie, part three, um, the lead actor of The Shift, uh, Christopher Palaha, actually plays a lead role in that. So I'm very excited to get to that one. That's kind of a good transition because I was just about to ask you about um, Angel Studios and, and just kind of your thoughts on what they're doing over there. It seemed like just uh, based on a few of your Instagram stories and things like that, that you're a big fan of The Shift and The Chosen and some of their other uh, projects that they're that they're cranking out. And uh, I wouldn't call them a Daily Wire alternative because they're a bit smaller, but also some of their content that they're putting out is really, really top notch and really um, just really well done. Um so yeah, what are, did, are you a big fan of Angel Studios or just some of the movies they've been putting out or what? I am absolutely a big fan of them. Uh, I do consider my two favorite movie companies now. Like I find independent filmmaking some of the best kind of filmmaking because there are so many movies nowadays, whether it be through, like we've mentioned before, Wokeness or just the movies also just being blatantly bad. Mm. Um, not a lot of big movies are doing that nowadays. But I've watched, I have watched so many more independent films last year that were better than most of the Hollywood movies that came out in theaters. Wow, wow. So with The Daily Wire 
and Angel Studios, I consider them basically my two favorite independent companies of current filmmaking. Like, I dream to work with those two specifically. Yeah. And would would you would your preference be to work with them as an because it seems like you're you're both an actor, but you also are either a director or at least a like a script writer of some sort. So would your ideal setup be acting and directing or writing or would you pick one if you kind of had to pick one? I would love to see I would love to see myself doing like the I'd say Kenneth Branagh approach of mm. acting and directing. Mm. I I do love acting a lot. I really do. But asking me I like I would love to do writing and directing more cuz okay. that's that's what my real dream is of making the behind the scenes the vision of the movie. Yeah. How many how many scripts have you sort of like produced or you've been working on just sort of your independent self? Um, I've written a bunch of short films that have not gotten made yet. I've made one so far, but it's mainly just because of college being very busy, which is understandable. Yeah. Um, but in my free time when I can, I write more future length stuff now. Cause like nice. I liked writing short films, but I was like, I want to expand mm. to making full stories. And when you do that, you got to know it takes a, a long period of time, depending right. on how long you want to make the story or how much care you want to put into it. So I started writing my first scripts, which I've titled Stand Your Ground, which is a, a home invasion thriller. Okay. Uh, started writing that in the, um, in the summer of 2022. And I finished it last year in the summer of 2023, just in that whole span of writing a 90 page script, which is uh, nice. uh, hold on. Hold on a second. Right here, actually. Nice, cool. Oh, that looks really official. It does. That's <laughs> awesome. I'm very, very happy I got that yeah. done. I'm doing a little bit of polishing up on it, just you know, make sure it's like crystal clear, perfect. Was there but, a particular film that maybe ins that inspired that script, or is this totally just like, I want a, a home invasion thriller, and this is what I want the characters to be, and you just kind of cranked it out? Well. I would say it was really based on the idea of those small contained thrillers. Like I took inspiration from that horror movie, Stra the strangers pray at night, which I really liked. Um, then I also took inspiration off of say terror on a prairie or mm. shut it. Mm. It was just that small idea of you're stuck in this one area and you have this many foes. How can this one character get out of this situation? Nice. Yeah, so kind of... I basically got inspiration. Okay, awesome. What, um, when you're writing a script, what do you, like, would, in a perfect world, the plot and the characters all kind of, like, they're, it's nice and perfect, and, and the characters grow, and the plot is really exciting. What kind of do you, like, focus on in terms of, like, character development or, or plot-driven? or what, what, do you, what do you sort of uh, look for in, when you're writing your own types of things? Well, the story always comes first, I think, to like when I create the story, because like I get the idea and I instantly write it down to my notes to make sure I don't forget it. So I write that down. And then after I have like basically the teeniest, tiniest idea, I try to expand on it. But after I actually get the story idea, that's mm. I heavily focus on characters because nice. I believe that is the most important idea of a movie is characters. Mm. And when giving my characters backstories or giving them an interesting purpose to them of why they are there. 
that's my favorite part is creating a person or say it's a sci-fi movie creating an alien or something like that mm. uh that's my favorite part but also another one of my favorite parts is just naming mm. i love naming characters mm. that's awesome i try to give characters memorable names because you have so many memorable names out there you have john mcclain or alan grant or uh john rambo you just think about those names and they click so anytime i write i make sure that a name that i choose rolls off the tongue or makes sense towards it because i hate i've watched so many bad movies over the years i watch bad movies deliberately just to focus on what not to do mm. so there are so many names and movies or character names that are just boring i remember seeing one movie i can't remember what it was called but a character's name was jim john goodness <laughs> the, so, the guys the guy doing the screenwriting was like eating a sub uh eating a sandwich while he was doing it, it was like oh yeah jim john that sounds great that's that's not inspired at all <laughs> so i try to give characters a unique name but also not to the point that the name sounds ridiculous sure and that so, seems like yeah, it seems like that's kind of key in a lot of, uh, at least like if it's a dialogue heavy script is having names that are easy to say and that are memorable and then being able to like just write punchy, punchy lines that aren't cheesy because a lot of movies are either like they try to sound dramatic, but the stakes are so low that it's really cheesy or the stakes yeah. are pretty high. And then the main character doesn't say anything like important. And then you're like, well, this is your time to like step up and give a rousing speech and you're not doing anything or you're giving a rousing speech and it's just like to, to no one, you know? So you, you kind of have two ends of the spectrum where it's like you, you kind of have to pick your place to, to write that, have that strong dialogue and also know when it just needs to be, uh, you know, just a shot of a scene and not have anyone talking in the background. Like when it's, when it's powerful enough to just have action and totally forget about dialogue. So, um, so I agree with that. Like, when you write a main character or a supporting character, they have to have a reason to be there. Because again, there have been so many movies I've watched where characters just show up and do nothing. Like they're just there. Which if you talk about smaller roles, like say a main, char a main character passes by a cop that doesn't do anything. See, that's fine because that's just a small nothing role. But um, if, the, if, you, if you give the cop a name, and you give them something of a personality. It's like you have a character there now. You have to do something with that character. Right. Yeah. And it, it like seems I say. Like... No, go ahead. Sorry. I say if you give a if you give one character, even if they're a minor character, one bit of information that makes them feel like a real person, they have to be important somehow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where maybe um, writers that focus specifically on like thrillers or horror films or things like that should honestly look to uh, well done like television shows or uh, like things like the office friends, you know, a lot of these big popular shows is because they're so character heavy and they're story heavy too, but you can almost after watching one of those shows, put yourself in that character spot and say, this is what they would choose. This is what they would say. This would make them mad. This wouldn't, these are their favorite things, likes and dislikes. And the reason that that's possible if it's well done is because a show is 10 seasons long, right? Whereas in a movie, you have way less time, but, but the ability to be able to say, 
you know, to introduce a character and then say, this is their preference, or they're really afraid of guns, or, you know, to be able to set the stage for things, because otherwise you have all these things transpiring, and none of it makes sense, because you haven't introduced the the audience to anything, and then it's just meaningless, you know, you just have all these random characters kind of just walking around. <laughs> so I, and that's another thing I agree with, like, yeah, that is totally true that one of the i've watched so many tv shows over the years some have sadly been canceled and some are still going um but the one show i think is the best show i have ever watched so far no show has been able to get to that level that i love is daredevil when it used to be on netflix those three seasons i think are perfection of television and the, the closest show i think i have watched that has actually came close to that kind of perfection well it's in second place for the best show i've ever seen is the chosen wow okay wow it's funny you mentioned those two we our last our uh two podcasts ago we had on one of our friends sam morales who um he's uh he's he's one of my instagram followers i follow him and he runs this um publication on substat called 100 movies every catholic should watch and then within that they do reviews of uh new release films and you know just popular films oldies throwbacks things like that um but they just are going through um, all of these classic films and why they're good and why you should watch them. Um, and they're, I, I would encourage you to look them up and just see how much you agree with them. I think they're only up to like 40 something. So they're trying to do like a big reveal for 50 and a big reveal for 100. But a lot of the movies that you've mentioned are on that list. And it, I would be interested to see if um, if you agree with a lot of um, their conclusions because they're very focused on um, – you know, storytelling, what is the movie trying to say? Does it have good dialogue? Um, like, did I learn anything? Or was it entertaining? Or was it just kind of, you know, meaningless content? Um, and he said, he, I think he mentioned both of those shows as being two of his favorite shows, because he was like, they're just well produced, good dialogue, the story is there, like, it's just really well done. Um, so clearly, you both have good tastes in in those things. Thanks. Uh yeah, with Daredevil, I, I can't remember the name of the episode for my life. If I look it up now, I'll be mad at myself that I didn't mm-hmm. remember it. But um, it's one episode in season two. It's when the Punisher like is first in the first half of season two. Uh, basically, the whole episode is Daredevil chained up to this chimney on top of the roof with Daredevil. And the entire episode, like I said, is basically just them two bickering back and forth on their, both of their ideologies of, you know, mm. Daredevil believes... Like Daredevil's a Catholic from what you've right. seen in the show. Uh, his belief of uh, people can change, there is goodness, and also he has that role of not killing, like how he is, like how Spider Man or other Batman does. Daredevil doesn't believe in killing. While the Punisher has the belief of nobody can change, and the best thing to do is to put them into the ground. And so seeing those two ideologies fight, just argue with each other makes for some of the best dialogue I have ever heard or mm. I've ever seen being written. Yeah. I, I actually haven't seen it and I, I put it on my watch list after our other podcast, but now that it's been seconded, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll definitely have to watch it. Um, that to me, that seems like, I don't know what your criteria is for. Um, we actually asked Sam about this, like what, what is your criteria for what's a good movie? Because I think that a TV show or, um, maybe movies in different genres should be graded differently. Uh, something that they try to do is like, you know, does it display uh, things that are true, that are good, that are beautiful? Is it trying to give you a better view of reality or at least tell a story that is 
um, that is convincing or that maybe changes your mind on something. Is that like those qualities or is that something that you look for? Or do you, do you kind of stem out and be like, well, kind of terrible movie, but Hans Zimmer did the soundtrack. So love it. You know, like, cause some people will do that where they're just, they'll pick an actor, they'll pick a, uh, a director, they'll pick a, you know, name anything. And because that person's involved, they'll, they'll say it's a good movie. For me, when I watch movies, I want to be taken into another world. Another thing that doesn't, I love real world stories like thrillers. Another show I thought was great was the terminal list on mm -hmm. Amazon prime. Also Reacher on Amazon prime. I love those shows. Um, I love the grounded aspect of it, but also while these while these shows do take place in the real world, I'm still taken out of my own world. Mm. I'm not I'm not heavily reminded I'm in my world. And so I believe with stories like that, or any stories, I want to not be reminded of life, not in a bad way of life or anything. Like I'm transported into a story that I can follow around, follow these characters I like. And once the movie ends, I go back to me. Mm. I being taken away from the seat of inside a movie theater or taken away from my couch watching a show. It's that kind of idea of filmmaking I love of being transported, being brought into the story. And so that's one thing I think I has a, that has a problem with most shows is they constantly want to remind you of things in the real world, which some things do matter. There are some subjects in the world that I believe do need to be told, like with Sound of Freedom, like human trafficking is such an awful thing. And so seeing a film like that openly just not afraid to talk about this awful thing that needs to be exposed, but also give light to the situation, mm. it's like we can we can try our best to help. So that's the kind of stuff I love. But there are some stuff, and I'm going to pick on one studio here because they're bad at this which is modern netflix uh netflix has a problem of making shows that have a bunch of content that's like trying to spread awareness to a thing that does not matter mm -hmm. like a bunch of ideologies or saying what's what is bad versus what is good like get canceled don't get canceled basically like that i think netflix is one of the worst offenders out there of television same with like how Disney is one of the worst offenders of filmmaking. Yeah. I was going to, you. so you, you were talking about how when you watch a movie, one of the things that you're like, the qualities you're looking for is being totally transformed or totally, you know, totally taken away in another world. Um, do you enjoy, or I don't know if you've been to Disney, like theme parks, is that something that you enjoy about well, I guess I'll just ask you if you've ever been first, because if you haven't, then it won't matter. Have you, have, do you go to like Disney or Universal or any theme parks like that? I have never been to Disney World yet, but I do say I want to go there just so I can say I can go there. But the, yeah. there, there are a few things I want to see there, honestly. Like I love yeah. my favorite fictional character of all time is Indiana Jones. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to see that <laughs> stunt show that they have. Yeah, right. And go on the ride. You really need to go on the ride if you can go. Um, well, no, it's just interesting because it seems like a lot of a kind of a common theme with filmmakers is it's uh, they really do want to be taken up into the world. And when you go to Disney and it's in a totally different way than a film, but being able to like wait in line for a ride and you have the music playing and you have like you're kind of like getting 
like little bits and pieces of the story. And especially with Indiana Jones, when you're yeah, like, you're going through that whole ride, like you really kind of feel like you're in, like on a movie set or you're in the movie. Um, so yeah, that, I just made me curious to see if that was something that, that you enjoyed doing because it's so, it's so distant, but also in a very real way, like super closely connected with filmmaking and with that experience of reality in almost a fake way, but, but it's, and it's kind of exaggerated, but you believe it still, you know, you still feel like you're in that world. And I, and I do believe that theme parks are some of the best things out there. I've been to six flags. Uh, like I said, I've been to Disney when I was like very younger, but since I don't remember it, I don't count it. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was like, it was when I was two years old. So it was one of those. Sure. Um, but yeah, theme parks are great. I do believe in that whole transportation of into a story. And like how you said, I, you reminded me, like sometimes when you're waiting in line, like say you take the Guardians of the Galaxy ride, they have a story going on around you while you're just waiting in line. Right. Yeah. And so I love that idea of it. Mm. But like I said, I do love being taken out of the world into, into a story. But I do care about movies that do talk about messages that do matter. I do watch movies that have a message that does need to be told. Like I said, when you talk about Sound of Freedom, or say with the shifts is message it's it's mess that's the only kind of movies that about the real world i want to watch it's messages that do matter not yeah. the not the say woke messages at all right right Tolkien, um who wrote lord of the rings has uh this um, article that he wrote way back when obviously um on like a secondary world and taking aspects of reality um in order to produce um, a secondary world that you can be transported into, whether that is with literature or whether that's with movies. Um, as a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, and just I've I've seen this like recently on YouTube where people are saying like the Lord of the Rings trilogy is a masterpiece that we'll, we will we will never see ever again um, in cinema. And I wonder like what your take is on Hollywood as a whole, if quality like that level of quality, if that's ever going to be repeated or if there's just like this massive shift that needs to happen um, because Lord of the Rings is just one of those, both the trilogy and the books, you're transported into a, like a, a secondary world where you're just kind of completely um, overwhelmed by everything. Um, and obviously that has a lot to do with the quality, but a lot of movies that you see now, you don't, you don't get that. And I wonder um, if we're ever going to see that in Hollywood ever again. Now, I'm going to mention two things. The second one, I will answer that question. <laughs> but the first one, I have so many people have gotten onto me about this. And I will tell, I'm telling, I'll tell you now. I have never watched a Lord of the Rings movie. Oh, my. All right. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I have been told so many times by friends, like I have one friend. He gets mad at me, so mad about it. And I tell him, I will get around to it. It's just those things that I need to have a whole day off to do it. <laughs> All right, Alex, I'll, this is what I'm going to tell you. If you want to meet halfway, we live in Virginia, okay? You live in Alabama. If you want to meet halfway, I will treat you out and we'll do. We'll find a theater that's going to play the extended version. It's going to be like a 10-hour day. We will sit and we will watch all of them and then we'll critique them afterwards, even though there's not a lot to no. critique. <laughs> look no i'd i'd love to do it give me a, give me a shot at it and we can plan it out but um 
to mention that. I do know the movies are great, so I will stay with that. Um, but with that quality, uh, no. As of right now, we cannot reach that same kind of quality from what I've known from that kind of age of... The, those movies came out in the early 2000s, right? Yep. Yep. From what I remember. Um, that era through there, through the 90s and through the 80s, it's that peak of filmmaking, I think. Now, we do have those gems of, say, 2010s to maybe a few gems we have now through the 2020s. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I think Hollywood needs to get their act together, get, have a big shift into it. Because with what they are producing now, with so much stuff coming out, it's not resonating. Mm-hmm. You have They come up with these original ideas, and they say it's original. But then you watch it, and then it's not good. Like I said, whether it be through forced messages or just bad filmmaking in general, they're not that good. And so they see that and they go, oh, let's just reboot another thing. Let's just mm-hmm. remake another thing. Mm-hmm. So it's falling behind into their own pits of what I think of self-despair. <laughs> That's why I think independent filmmaking is doing so good because they know what audiences want. They know what, like I said, what messages matter. And what kind of filmmaking matters, whether it be through Daily Wire or whether it be through Angel Studios, they know what the audiences wants. I'm a member. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a member of Angel Studios' Angel Guild. Like I pay for their subscription, and seeing that all their movies they release are audience chosen, mm. that's perfect. Knowing what the audiences want and giving that to them, like we're not gonna make a movie that will it make fun of the audience or anything like that. This is what y'all want to watch. We're going to make it. And I love that. That's the kind of filmmaking that deserves to be seen more. That's why I'm happy this movie became a success. That's why I gave so much support for The Shift. Because meeting the filmmakers behind that was great. Meeting Brock Easley and King Carpenter. Seeing their dedication for it of Brock telling his ideals of being a Christian. While also giving us a unique sci-fi story. It's original. It's perfect. It doesn't make fun of you. It doesn't feel like there's no driving force behind it telling you like, oh, believe this, believe this. You don't believe this. You're bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what we need. And Hollywood doesn't know that. They are going the completely different route, making movies nobody cares about or remaking movies that people didn't want. Like there are so many movies out there that are perfect. They try to write, remake Indiana Jones about Harrison Ford. No. They try to remake Jaws. No, they try to remake Back to the Future. No, it's not going to work because that is not what we want because we already have those movies and those are perfect. So, to my opinion, from all that rambling, they need to get their act together. We need to have a shift of Hollywood of them looking at audiences, seeing what people are going to watch Mm -hmm. and knowing what we like. Now, there is one theory in Hollywood I truly believe this theory. Uh, did y'all ever go and watch Barbie? Nope. Good. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I, I should I should answer audibly. Absolutely not. I did not go see it. <laughs> but I did watch Ben Shapiro's 40-minute uh, rant on it, so I felt like that counted. Good. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a better alternative than actually watching the movie. <laughs> um, but I did go see it. And... Uh, I did it mainly because of the Barbenheimer thing. I was <laughs> into that. So Oppenheimer was a way better movie. <laughs> it's 10 times better. In my opinion, as of right now, 
I would love Sound of Freedom to get nominated for an Oscar, but knowing the Academy, mm. that's never going to happen. Right. So Oppenheimer is my best choice. So I want that to win Best Picture. But getting back to it, uh, Barbie, uh, it's not good for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it made a lot of money. Yes, it did. And people are, and people have argued with my opinion on that of go woke, go broke, or whatever people say. Um, through that, like, oh, if, if if you make a movie kind of this politically opinion, you won't make money. Well, what about Barbie? Barbie made a ton of money. It made a billion dollars. Um, there are two aspects of that I can argue with. One thing, Barbie is an IP. It's an already made thing. So I believe a bunch of it, a bunch of its audiences went there just because you know, oh, some of us maybe girls that grew up playing with Barbies or you know moms were showing up like. Like their kids play with Barbies. So it's an IP. They already have a latchable factor to make money. Because, like, everybody knows Barbie. Like, you see it on, like, commercials or stuff like that. But another factor is the trailers, trailers and marketing. Mm. I truly believe the marketing and trailers lie to audiences. One of the best reviews I can recommend you watch is the Critical Drinkers review of Barbie. Mm. And his opinion on it. The trailers made it look like it was a, just a fun kids movie, and that's what right. I went into expecting it to be like. Oh, this is a kids movie. Uh, so you, marketing lied about what the movie really was. So when you go see the movie, you get a completely different movie. You get a manifesto of a, a female director's ideas instead of a kids movie based off an IP. Mm-hmm. And so it's false marketing, and just having an IP is what made it money. Just it wasn't yeah. because it was good. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think maybe not with the second point, but I think that the first point, you could definitely apply that to um, the Star Wars universe or even maybe Marvel, where it's like, yeah, was it was it a terrible movie? Okay, maybe it wasn't a terrible movie, but for what it could have been, it was a terrible movie. But any Star Wars movie that comes out is going to make a lot of money. It's not going to make as much money as it should, but if it's a bad movie and the plot's terrible and you kill off characters that you shouldn't, or, you know, uh, the laundry list of items that are wrong with the movies, but because star Wars is such an established piece of IP, one of the biggest ever, it's going to be really, really difficult to make a movie that no one goes to see. And I know people that are huge star Wars fans that just haven't gone to see the last three or four movies, but there's way more people that are still just going because you know they're big fans and they keep praying that it's going to get better even if they don't think it will um but it's going to keep making money i think eventually if you if they keep butchering the star wars universe it may stop making money or at least it may go down enough that they you know make some changes um but it seems like a lot of big um uh universes i guess you'd say or big big ips are are making less money than they really should be and they're they're really failing but they're such a they're such a dominant force that it's like yeah maybe they made half but they're still making triple of what everyone else is making um but it is nice to see some of those numbers going down and then you see sound of freedom you know beating a bunch of these big films even though it's not a i mean it was a big film but it wasn't it wasn't a huge hollywood film it wasn't popular in hollywood um got a lot of you know criticism and um, and the same thing with Top Gun Maverick, the same thing with the new Mission Impossible. Um, 
now they weren't as as Christian in their messaging, but they were just it was just pure entertainment. Like it didn't have political stuff. It was just like this is going to be a good time, and and then they do really well. And then you see Star Wars and you know all of these other movies going going Indiana Jones. Uh, you see um, uh, Lightyear, all of these Disney movies tanking because they're putting in woke stuff, especially in the kids' movies. You're putting woke stuff into kids' yeah. content, and that, that's why that's why the Daily Wire launched Bent Key because they were like. Well, forget this. We're doing our own thing because clearly now it's now they're attacking children. And we need that own thing to fight against what's right and what's wrong. Give our kids something good to watch. Like when you mentioned earlier, uh, long earlier, Matt Walsh's documentary of what is a woman. Now, I'm not much of a documentary watcher, to be honest. That's a genre that I have never had that much of an interest in uh, documentaries. But um, watching that, I found it really good. So we got to know what to keep away from people versus what should be seen, like I mentioned before. And with the box office tanking, it's shocking how it works. Like Sound of Freedom, I think from what the director said on a uh, podcast, the film didn't even go over $10 million on a budget. So, and it made back so much money because it was a sleeper hit and from word of mouth. And that's crazy how this under $10 million movie, which I might be wrong on that because they never officially said the budget, but it was somewhere near that, made so much more money than, say, a the $400 million produced Indiana Jones or, say, another $200 million produced uh, Pixar animated movie like Elementals. So it's showing. We have those rare occasions, like with Sound of Freedom, like, this is what we like. This is what needs to be seen. This is what we want as an audience. That. Yeah. If um, if you had the opportunity, would you would you also try to work for Angel Studios if you could, or do you think that the Daily Wire is a little bit more, um, kind of what you're what where you're pursuing? Like, that's kind of more where your interests lie. I would love to work with both. Um, It'd be a dream to work with both if I ever had the chance. Uh, there's a, I, like I said, I've never really gotten to my own personal beliefs in my movies, but I've been slowly devolving into being open about my opinion. Like in my scripts, not being, I say, annoying about it, but also having them have a factor to the story. Because my first script that I wrote, that's the one I want to send to Dallas when I polish it up, is a, uh, it's a pro-cop story. It's a, it's a heroic tale that I have about it, about redemption. And so I want to complete that, which I've been told by another person who's read the script that Hollywood would not make your movie. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, and I said, I will take that as a great compliment. <laughs> <laughs> so once I finish it up, I'd love to send it to him. But I'm also writing my first religious movie. I'm writing three scripts at once, by the way, right now, which is a load nice. onto my back. <laughs> but, um, it's currently my main project that I'm putting a lot of focus on. It's just a, a religious, not, I wouldn't say another redemption tale, but a travel story, a story of more hope and spreading the message of God in a world where we, in a alternate world that I have wrote down where we have lost God. Hmm. And so, it's shining that light back into the world of what I'm writing. I'm going to keep the story as of right now more to the low, but it's more about that 
spreading the message more in a world that has lost it. How do you think that you can do that um, effectively without being preachy? Because I think that that's a, a pretty common critique of Christian film companies where they either don't focus on the faith and Christianity and mor morality enough. And then it's like, is this even a Christian movie? It seems like low produce, you know, low budget. And I'm not really getting a lot of faith here or all you're getting is faith. And then you're like, ah, that I, I like what you're saying, but it's not, it's not coming through like sound of freedom where there's definitely Christian themes and there's, you know, hints of Christianity and you maybe see a crucifix and someone's praying and makes the sign of the cross and little hints at it, but it's not just someone, you know, like in a church and has a, you know, has a homily, right? Those are two very different things. So how do you think that you can write something that, that gets that message across without people taking it in a bad way? If you ask me what is the hardest genre of writing there is, it is Christian. Because mm -hmm. I believe writing a Christian story is insanely hard without having it feel very, I'd say, overbearing with a message but also keeping that message in a tone level where the audience can fully understand and support it. Um, take ideas of the shift. The shift, the shift has more religious imagery than Sound of Freedom did, because while Sound of Freedom did have like Christian values and morals in it, that wasn't you know really the main focus behind it. Like the story was you know about human trafficking, but it did have those uh, religious themes in the middle of it. But the shift heavily focused on the religious theme of our main character basically being a new version of Job because that's what the whole movie is about. It's a re sci-fi retelling of Job. So with our main character in that movie, Kevin, him just having the power of prayer, like every time he wakes up in the movie in his apartment, he prays. Or how the power of prayer takes away the villain, the benefactor. It's and him mentioning all the time about God and how there is hope, and how he is more than the worst things he has done. That is what I believe is like some of the best Christian filmmaking, is what's coming from Angel Studios. Now, I have seen some other good ones as well. Um, I really like that movie Courageous from the Kendrick yeah. brothers. I was going to ask if I've you had seen, seen that, because you mentioned the the cop script that you're writing, and that's what I immediately thought of, is, is the, the Courageous movie that they made. Yes, I love what Ken, the Kendrick brothers are making. Like I found that I f their earlier work is more low budget, which is a, a very understandable from how they started out. Yeah. But once they found their footing, you know, through Courageous and what they've made onward, I loved it. I loved War Room. I loved Overcomer. It's mm. that's the kind of Christian filmmaking I really like. And like I said, there are some others too. Um, I really liked. I can only imagine. And so, but then there are a few I've seen out there that I genuinely think are not good movies. There mm. are some studios out there that just don't know how to write the christian movie yeah like um i have no idea if y'all like the movie or not but for me i really do not like the god's not dead movies um have i seen oh i have yeah i have seen that uh yeah i would i think i would agree with you i haven't seen the second one the first one it yeah, it, it, it was it was kind of trying to take a religious debate that should be on YouTube and make it into a movie and then add different yeah. plot lines. And it was and then it just adds like Christian rock music to make moments dramatic. And it was like, no, you're not really proving me that that God is real from this. It's it's not the correct approach. It needs to be a dialogue and not not a film. Um, 
and that's what yeah. I've seen. There are sadly so many of them now. There, there's four currently, and there, the fifth one oh. just got filmed. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, I, I've seen all of them, and I'm not a fan of them. That's no. from what you said. It didn't feel like I'm being told that our that our father is here. It felt more of just. It felt like a capitalist film. Well, not not really. Oh, that's the right word. It just felt like. It didn't really. Those movies don't really care about what they're making, and just more care about the box office. Yeah. They see a target audience, and they go for it. While Angel Studios or other studios like the Kendrick Brothers do care about spreading that good word, that good message. And so I try to look at studios that I know I want to work with, and so. I keep that bearing in mind, which is weird because the writers of God's Not Dead also wrote a movie last year that I consider really good. It wasn't made by the people that made God's Not Dead, but it was just written by the same screenwriters. It was a movie called Nefarious. Yes, great film. I loved that movie. Yeah. Mm. I see that as a redemption arc for those screenwriters. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it, but um, Mark recommended it to me. And then I think I think someone uh, someone watched it recently and told me, like kind of reminded me to to watch it again you said it's the same screenwriters yes oh wow okay cool i see it as their redemption arc of <laughs> oh it, they just they just needed time like yeah yeah so see that movie is great that had good uh religious scenes inside of it and so it really just comes down i think really to the writer but for me writing a script i'm not wanting to fall into god's not dead's category i'm mm -hmm. wanting to tell <laughs> I'm wanting to tell my story as me being a Christian and, but also trying to tell people how good this is, mm. how heartwarming, how much better life is with this. Cause for me back in high school, I became an atheist for three years of my life. And for me, I considered those three years, the worst years I ever had. I was not happy. I was very nihilistic. So I just fell into a plummet, but it was in 2020, <laughs> conveniently the year of COVID, uh, but in 2020 where I found my faith again. And since I did, I have been the happiest I ever have been. Wow. Well, God bless you for that. Was there, was there uh, friends or family that brought you back or was that um, a mixture of things that, that kind of brought you back to, to start kind of it was practicing again? I got invited to a church sermon that was on a Sunday morning and I went just because I was being nice. And so I went and I listened to the sermon and that sermon changed my life. I mean, not wanting to feel lost anymore to feel like I'm always being seen because he's always what he's always there watching, protecting. And so with that, it's made me realize I've been doing the wrong things with my life during those three years of not being a believer. I was like, this is my calling. Like how filmmaking is filmmaking is my calling. But also being a follower of God has been, is also my calling. And I will never forget that day when I realized I am a child of God. Yeah. And that's what a special moment to have. Cause I think most people, um, either, you know, don't, don't practice any faith, don't adhere to anything, 
or they do, but they've just been raised in that. And so they just, they kind of just do it habitually and they don't really think about it. And maybe they'll have moments in their life where they, they feel like God answered their prayer or they feel like uh, God interceded for them, or maybe they have this kind of interior inclination to be good to people, but it doesn't really extend beyond that. They don't really dig into it that much more. So the fact that you were raised in that way, but then were able to come back and kind of see what you were missing out on and then kind of hit it full force is really awesome to hear. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, good for you. Uh, especially w at the time, right? COVID is a horribly isolating time. And you, you know, you're in high school or, you know, it's like that that's a really hard time for people. That's, that's the highest percentile of people that fall away from the faith and fall away from uh, just turn their back on God, you know? So. Awesome. It was very convenient. It was, it was at the beginning of the year, like in January, or it was like the start of a new me, basically me becoming a better person more of me just being more faithful with this. Like I try my best to go to church when I can, but sadly with me being in college, I don't have a lot of time. And so I always try my best reading the Bible. I I have the Bible app because, you know, thankfully for phones, there are some mm -hmm. things that we can have on our pockets at all times. And so when I can, I'll go on the app and just read certain scriptures that they recommend mm -hmm. just to keep up my my heart of where I know I am. Have you ever used uh, the Hallow app? Uh, no, I haven't. Have you heard of it? Do you know what Hallow is? No. So they're, they're this huge, I didn't even hear about it until a couple of years ago, but they're this huge, it's a huge app and they've got um, a bunch of, I think Jim Caviezel's one of the people that's on there. Um, a, a, a couple of, I don't, I think it it's mostly uh, Catholic people that are on there. So Father Mike Schmitz, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's on there. Um, I think Liam Neeson might be on there now, but they, um, they hire these actors and um, influencers, I guess is kind of the right word. And they have gospel reflections and they have, I think they might just have scripture where you can just click on the gospel of Mark and just listen to it from whoever wants to read it. You know, whoever's reading it, you can select a reader, but they also have prayers and meditation things. And um, I've heard that a lot of Christians use it because they have trouble, especially in today's day and age, they have trouble sit, like you were saying, you have trouble sitting down and just reading. And so if you can just listen to it, um, maybe you don't catch as much, but you also, uh, you can have it on in the background while you're driving somewhere or something like that. Um, I think it's a paid subscription, but it's not that much. Um, I think Jordan Peterson may, may be on it as well. So they've, they've got a lot of big name people that, that do readings on there. And um, I've, I've heard a lot of really, really good things about it. Um, so I definitely recommend checking that out if you want, uh, if you want Jim Caviezel or I think Mark Wahlberg is the other big one that, that's on there. He's a huge advocate for it. So uh, if you want Mark Wahlberg to read you the gospel of John, I would, I would recommend you checking that out. Look, you you instantly hooked me when you said Jim Caviezel. I was like, I'm already I'm already buying it. <laughs> Isn't he? I I've I've grown to respect him so much. I mean, obviously, I was a big fan of the Passion, but after that, it's like okay, the Passion, and then you don't really hear about him, and you're not really sure what he. But I started looking into some of his earlier movies, like Count of Monte Cristo and the um, Person of Interest. I love that. I love that TV show. Like, just so many good things that he's been involved in, and then he just came with Sound of Freedom and just knocked it out of the park. Like. Uh, and especially at the end, even though like after the movie was over and he's just sitting there basically telling you to come watch it. I was like, like that got me more, like almost more emotionally than anything else because he was yeah. just so worked up about it. So yeah, what a guy.
Caviezel is one of the lead actors I want to work with one day. Like, I have a list of people I want to work with, and he is basically at the top of the list. Mm. Well, and and I agree with that on his films. Like, everybody knows him for, like, saying a lot of people know him now for Count of Freedom, but a lot of people also know him for playing Jesus, which is also a great – I loved Passion. I thought it was a great movie. But it's also that thing. He's done so much – he's done so much other movies in his career. Like, I'm not trying to uh, de facto out, like, Passion or anything. That's still a great thing. But he's done so much stuff that people also need to see, too, that he's been a part of. Like you said, Person of Interest, Count of Monte Cristo. Another one of his movies I consider fantastic is Frequency. That's a sci-fi film, which is amazing. I haven't and seen so, that. Uh, have you seen The Red Thin Line? Or I think it's Red Thin Line, something like that. That he's That's one red, I haven't got around red to line. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think I made a list of, like, 15 movies that he was in and i'm like i'm gonna get through all these at some point because i just think he's an awesome actor yeah like if now knowing that he's in that podcast he has i read a tweet i think he was saying like jim caviezel's voice is like better than a glass of milk (laughs) (laughs) the warm glass of milk so i i i I don't blame you on that part yeah yeah, look so, it up and, and see up. and see what you think. Um, and then let me know if, if you do start using it. I would I'd be I'd be happy to hear that you started using it because of me. Um sponsored by Hallow. It's sponsored worry. by Hallow, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe someday <laughs> we'll get sponsored. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um hey, uh I wanted to thank you for coming on. It's it's about an hour and a half, so I don't wanna I don't wanna keep you too much longer, but um I want to commend you for taking a risk to come on a podcast that you've never heard of that you heard, you know, you figured out the day before was Catholic and from some guy you've never met. Um, I don't know if I would have done that, but I'm very thankful that you decided to give it a shot. And I hope, I hope you had a good time. And if uh, in the future, if one of your, you know, if, if Dallas reads one of your scripts or you're able to get on one of the daily wire shows or something um, I'm sure you'll have bigger outlets that will want to talk to you, but I would love to talk to you again, just to get some, some behind the scenes on that. Uh, maybe we can have you back on to talk about the Pendragon cycle or something like that. Just, uh, yeah, it'd be awesome just to have someone else on and, and to talk about it again. Look, no worries, man. I had a great time doing this, just being able to talk with you guys about my religious beliefs or what my ideas of filmmaking are, but just talking about movies in general. I have been told I need to shut up because I talk about two movies too much. <laughs> so it's, just being able to talk about it and ramble on with like y'all who like movies as well and just want to know what kind of movies need to be made. It's it's heartwarming, I'd say, because it's it's part healing, just being talked about something that you love. Mm-hmm. So I had an absolute blast. If I was if I'm able to do this again, if y'all if y'all want me on here again, absolutely just hit me up and I'll say yes. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. In the meantime, if uh if you want to watch Lord of the Rings, I would uh I would maybe make that a requirement for the next time. Uh <laughs> some point. Put it on your list. Make it make it a priority for twenty twenty four, maybe. <laughs> I'll make that one of my now New Year's resolutions. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Hey, Alex, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, blast talking to you, and uh, yeah, reach out anytime. We'd love to have you back on at some point. You'll get to meet our our third host, and uh, yeah, keep up all the good work. Best luck in college and your your three scripts that you're writing. It sounds like a lot, so uh, don't go crazy. I'll try not to. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks, Alex. This is the Doing Virtue podcast, the Catholic one. And virtue is what we do. (laughs) Cheers. Thanks, Alex.